Good. Good morning, everybody. Uh, uh, that gentleman over there is, is coming home. I'm just telling you. It's coming home. Good. Um, if you see me with one of these in my hands, beware. Now, most of you know me as the, as the friendly guy with, with a smile. You know, always ready to give you a hug. Even if you don't really want a hug, you inevitably end up getting a hug. But give me a tennis racket, put me on a tennis court, you will see a very different person. And uh, the issue is, I have a competitive nature. Now, don't just believe me. I collected some comments from my Thursday night tennis colleagues at the Hong Kong Gulf Coast and a couple of fellow Viners who get to see the other side of me on the other side of the net, so to speak. I invite you, I've put them on the screen, I invite you to take some time to have a look at them. That's shocking. John exudes those great Christian values of compassion, caring, forgiveness, and tolerance in all he does, except between 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. every Thursday during social tennis. A one-line observation from your partner on court. People expect John to be forgiving of all my mistakes on court, but sometimes he can be a little unforgiving. Is that a bad thing? He likes to win. That's clear. Someone said, first time I got to know John on the tennis court, competitiveness was all around John. I could smell it in the air that night. <laughs> Another guy said, John is so happy to let you know, as his teammate, if you're not on your game, <laughs> he's like a little volcano with small verbal eruptions. <laughs> and my favorite. Intense sport competition is typically associated with young people. So that's the mindset of many. If you see John on the tennis court, you will change your mind. Now, this is totally shocking, I admit. Totally shocking. But where did this come from? Now, you have to go a long way back with me. With my sisters being 18 and 20 years older than me, I was an effective only child. Now, the advantage of our public housing apartment in southeast London that I lived in from age 10 is that it was on the ground floor. And 54 Comus House was right next to a little playground. Now, you won't believe this, but the outside wall of our apartment had two colors of bricks. And the darker ones were remarkably approximately the height of a tennis net. The playground became a young boy's tennis court. And so I would pray regularly. But how does an effective only child do that. I tell you, I would play left hand against right hand. The only problem was that no hand wanted to lose. 
So points would invariably go on for a very long time. A word of warning, I can still pray pretty well left-handed these days. And that sort of summed up my life. It was always the family joke that with my sisters being, my younger sister being 18 years uh, older than me, I was dubbed the mistake in the too much information pile. Even the place and the circumstances of my conception were in there, which I'll thankfully spare you this morning. But I guess, looking back, I've spent so much of my life, to be honest, trying to live this down. At school, I wanted to be top of the class. And I was. In business, I wanted to be top dog. And to a large extent, I was. And to be honest, this attitude began to creep into my Christian life and my church life. Until one day, I realized that I was God's favorite son. We all are. And I was definitely not a mistake. Psalm 139 tells us this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity to share from the heart on the back of the excellent Different Spirit series. Now going back to last month, you can remember last month, remember the 12 spies were divided. Moses had sent 12 spies out to search the promised land, but only but, but 10 of them, they only saw the giants in the land and they got cold feet. Joshua and Caleb saw the opportunity and had the belief to take the land. They had a different spirit. Now, my heart for you today is simple. The major constituent of community is unity. Those of you who are mass experts will know it's 55.55 recurring percent. But what we see in our churches, in our society, and in our nations is more about competition than cooperation. I believe that competition is the spirit of this age. And I'm here today to call it out. The world is promoting its mantra. The competitive spirit is the answer to all your problems. I recently read an article which said this, the competitive spirit is the atom of self-improvement. It is the basic unit of life for an individual who wants it all 
and is willing to work to get it all. Now, don't get me wrong. Competition is not all bad. Positive competition occurs when we compete healthily in a way that brings the best in us and the best in everyone involved. But can I just say, competitive relationships are toxic and draining. People need and are desperate for honesty, support and tolerance. And competition provides none of these. As a pastor, it really breaks my heart to see the competitive spirit destroying marriages, families, friendships, and even churches. I have found that competing with and comparing yourselves to others is not about what's happening inside of you. Sorry, I said it again. It's not about what's happening outside of you. It's about what is going on in the deepest recesses of your heart. And Vine Church, today, I want to call this out. And when we open our Bible... We find many stories, examples of those with competitive spirits. We don't have to look very far. Right at the beginning, in the first four chapters of Genesis, we see the story of Cain and Abel and their jealousy. Think about it for a moment. Isn't it ironical that the first murder in history was actually a brother killing another brother. Let's look at the background. Sometime after Adam and Eve were, uh, had sinned against God and were, were forced out of the Garden of Eden, they began to have children. The first son was Cain, and he was a farmer. The second son was Abel. He was a shepherd. And when it was time to offer sacrifices to God... Cain brought what was described as some fruit from the ground. And Abel brought what was described as fat portions from some of the firstborn. Now God favoured Abel's sacrifice. And he didn't extend that same grace to Cain. Abel had brought first fruits. Cain had brought the leftovers. Now, this rejection made Cain angry. He was raging with jealousy. God graciously gave Cain a route back, a way out. But his competitive spirit led to tragedy. We read in Genesis 4.8, And Cain said to Abel, his brother, Let's go out into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose against Abel, his brother, And he killed him. And so what we see firstly is that jealousy, jealousy is a gateway to a competitive spirit. Being jealous indicates that we're not satisfied with what God's given us. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13, 5, to be content with what we have. 
For God will never fail us or forsake us. In order to combat jealousy, we need to become more like Jesus and less like ourselves. So that's jealousy. And then we see favoritism. We see this in the story of Joseph and his brothers. Jacob's favoritism is well known. We, we know about this, the multicolored coat, don't we? But it made his brothers so jealous that in Genesis 37, they too were ready to murder him. Instead, they only, only sold him into slavery telling the father that he had been torn into pieces by a wild beast. Now this caused the patriarch no end of grief. This time the story has a happy ending. But what we can clearly see is this. Favoritism is a path to the competitive spirit. If jealousy is a pathway, favoritism is also a pathway to a competitive spirit. And I felt led this morning to challenge us. I want to challenge you about your workplace. Do you show favoritism to, towards a certain type of colleague over another? A certain race? A certain skill set? What about in your social life? Are you showing favoritism in terms of who you hang out with? The Bible is clear that favoritism is not God's will for our lives. I believe that favoritism is a pathway to a competitive spirit. Favoritism is inconsistent with God's character. The Bible says God does not show favoritism, Romans 2.11. All are equal before him. Ephesians 6.9 says there is no favoritism with him. And favoritism is still a problem we deal with today. Favoritism and partiality are not from God. And Christians, as Christians, we are called to love. As humans, we tend to form judgments based on selfish, personal criteria rather than seeing others as God sees them. Secondly, the Bible teaches us that Christians are not to show favoritism. James 2.1 says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And thirdly, and possibly more importantly, the Bible calls favoritism sin. Favoritism is a serious offense against God's call to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now let me be clear, there is nothing wrong with preferences, which we all have, and are part of our likes and dislikes in our personality. The challenge is to avoid favoritism, which the Bible calls a sin. And so, we move on to pride. And I want to look at the story of Pharaoh and Moses. 
This is the picture. The Israelites were in captivity and God chose Moses to lead them out towards freedom. Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go so that they might have a feast to me in the wilderness. He was speaking on behalf of God. But Pharaoh was on the throne. He would not let the God of those slaves give him orders. And Pharaoh arrogantly replied, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And what we saw, didn't we? Devastating plagues. Through them, the Lord broke Pharaoh's stubborn pride. But only after terrible misery and loss. Pharaoh and his people paid a very high price before he finally acknowledged the Lord's right to rule. Pride is a sin because of its self-centered rather than God-centered perspective on life. In fact, pride is a pathway to competitive spirit. Now, pride can also mean conceit, arrogance, superiority. This kind of pride is based on self-centeredness, and it is destructive. Selfish pride is especially destructive to relationships because the opposite of loving others is actually not hating them. The opposite of loving others is being self-centered. Now, what we want to make clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It is competitive by its very nature, whilst the other vices are competitive only, as it were, by accident. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only having more of it than the other man. We see people being proud of being richer, cleverer, better looking than others. Think about it for a moment. If everyone were equally rich, clever, good-looking, that would make nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud and the pleasure of being above the rest. Even the disciples suffered from competition. You're not going to believe this. I mean, Jesus was about to go to the cross. He just celebrated the Last Supper. The first thing we read after this time, I mean, the Last Supper is so holy that we still celebrate it today, right? And the first thing we read is quite frankly unbelievable. I've put it on the screen. Okay, they've just enjoyed the supper. They know Jesus is going to the cross. Now there was also a dispute amongst them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Now, if this was today, someone would probably have organized a reality TV show with one-by-one -one eliminations. But Jesus had it covered. He said, if you want to be the greatest, you be a servant. And it wasn't just the disciples who were competitive. <laughs> look, at, 
Look at the mother of James and John, the original tiger mum. This is a story of a mom who only wanted the best for her sons. Because she loved them, she was proud of them, and because she had great dreams of them, you've, you've heard this probably already, <laughs> she came to Jesus one day with an audacious request. She asked that when Jesus comes into his kingdom, he would have one boy sit on the right hand and the other sit on the left. She wanted her sons to have the highest places of honour, at the top table, so to speak. No small dreams here. She had big dreams and her sons had large ambitions. But what we see here is that selfish ambition is a pathway to a competitive spirit. But the Bible tells us in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Now, look, I must put this into to context so you don't misunderstand me. There is a big difference between ambition and selfish ambition. Ambition of itself is not wrong. But when it is focused on me, 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 it is destructive. What we are talking about here is a competitive spirit. Whilst the Bible does not forbid competition, it does forbid the heart attitudes that so many have when they do compete. The scripture is clear that we are to do all things for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now all must include competitions, including my tennis. Eric Little, before serving as a missionary in China, ran in the 1924 Summer Olympics. You may remember him from the film Chariots of Fire. In the film, we see him spurning his favorite event. It was 100 meters. It was actually 100 yards in those days. He, he, he spurned it in favor of the less favored 400 meters because the 100 meters final was on a Sunday, contravening his Christian convictions. And he, of course, won the gold in the 400 meters. Little demonstrated the kind of attitude that one should have when competing. He said this, I believe that God made me for a purpose. Yeah, he was going to serve in China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. As I look at the 21st century, especially in a place like Hong Kong, where the boys with the most toys win the match, have the biggest and best job, apartment, car, looks, physique, even churches. When I go to a pastor's conference, do you know the question they always ask me? How many people at your church? Every time, guaranteed. And do you know what answer I give? I don't know. <laughs> they say, 
why don't you know? I said, if you're asking me how many bums are on a seat between 11 and about quarter to one, I can give you that number. But that's not church. I think we're going to have an amen to that. Because it doesn't have to be that way. There is an urgency to redefine this thing we call church that many put down to an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. At the Vine, we've had a call to community. We've had community groups. We've had river communities. How does this manifest a different spirit? I believe this. And this is one of those you might want to screenshot because this is worth having, I tell you. So just get your phones out. I believe the definition of community is this. Community equals cooperation, less competition. Do you like that one? I'll say it again. Community equals cooperation, less competition. Another word for, 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 for cooperation is collaboration. Collaboration. What does it mean to collaborate? Well, I tell you this. Collaboration has no room for jealousy. Collaboration has no room for favoritism. Collaboration has no room for pride. And collaboration has no room for selfish ambition. Now, what do I mean by this? Let's look at the early church. It was the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came. By the way, amazing sense of the Holy Spirit's presence during our worship today. The Holy Spirit came. Peter preached. As a result, we read, 3,000 people were saved. Again, if this was the 21st century, we'd be tempted to say, let's organize another rally. Maybe we'll get 5,000. Maybe we'll get 10,000. The sky's the limit. This guy, Peter, would make a great stadium evangelist. Put him on social media. He'll be a sensation. I even gave him a hashtag, Pete Preach. Here we are. But look at how the disciples responded. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. My goodness, don't you want to be part of a church like that? Now we all know that the church in the New Testament was not perfect. It was not exempt. It suffered from the competitive spirit. You'll say to me, Pastor John, I think of 
Peter's struggle in showing favoritism to the Jews over the Gentiles. The jealousy and discord between Paul and Silas. The pride of the church in Corinth had with some members taking communion before others. The disciples were human after all. But when I read this verse, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. I see that jealousy, favoritism, pride, selfish ambition took second place as competition was shaded by collaboration. In a, in a Peanuts cartoon, Lucy demanded that Linus change the TV channel, threatening him with her fist if he didn't. Linus said this, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? Lucy said, these five fingers. Individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together, like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus said, which channel do you want? <laughs> and turning away, he looks at his own fingers and says, why can't you guys get organised like that? <laughs> now, can I be honest? The purpose of my talk, divine church, the church of Hong Kong has no chance, no chance in fulfilling its God-given purpose if we embrace competition rather than collaboration. We need a different spirit and a new heart. I've been comparing the church, the early church in Jerusalem in AD 30, and the one that I observe in Hong Kong and elsewhere in 2021. And the question I've been asking myself is, why are they so different? I see the believers, the early believers, sharing their possessions, giving to those in need. I see numbers added daily. I see miracles happening to such an extent that people wanted to get under Peter's shadow so they could be healed. Have you ever wondered why we are so different? I'll tell you why. Competition has overshadowed collaboration. Let me say that again. Competition has overshadowed shadowed collaboration. And what I want to do, I want to pick out three words or phrases from this passage in Acts 2 that I read earlier. Firstly, number one, they devoted themselves. Number two, all the believers were together. And thirdly, they continued to meet together. Devoted, together, continued. Firstly, they devoted themselves. I've put the Greek word up there. It, uh, it's a, a rather long one. It's proskaterounetes. Uh, um, I'll have it right by four o'clock. Uh, its meaning is to continue steadfastly in a thing and give unremitting care to it. To persevere. To be in constant readiness. I actually like the choice of the English word here, devotion. I love that word, devotion, which means love, loyalty. 
enthusiasm for a person or an activity. It describes the level of passion and determination the disciples had in their desire for community, their desire for collaboration. The second thing we look at is all the believers were together. That's quite interesting. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we read, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And I, I guess we always think of the upper room as the one place. But the Greek word for one place, homothumadon, is actually translated in other versions as with one accord. So interesting. They were in the same place physically, but they were also in the same place spiritually. Now, what does that mean? It means being unanimous, having mutual consent, being in agreement, having group unity, having one mind, passion, and purpose of collaboration, not competition. Returning to my key verse, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Notice the similarity between this verse and the altogether in one place that I described on the day of Pentecost. And lastly, they continued to meet together. They met frequently. They associated together. They hung out together. And in doing so, expressed their mutual love. I love the way the writer of the Hebrews expresses it in Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And we read, they held all things in common. So mighty was their love of God shared in their heart. So mighty was their love for each other. So unified their family that they did not look at their material possessions as their own. There was a genuine need in the fellowship. They would sell personal property and distribute the proceeds. And it leads me again to ask, is that where the Vine family is? Is that where the Church of Hong Kong in 2021 is? We are so much better as a church, as a city, when we're pulling together. Collaboration must become our theme tune. Let me share an illustration. At a county fair in a horse pulling contest, the winning horse pulled 4,500 pounds. The runner-up pulled 4,000 pounds. Then the two horses teamed together and they pulled 12,000 pounds. That's 3,500 pounds more than they were able to pull individually. If we could apply that to the church, we will see there is no limit to the power of collaboration in God's work. As I bring this series to a close, 
can I share my dream? After all, the Bible says, old men dream dreams, right? So I'm going to share my dream. I dream of collaborative Christians. I see a church where the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. People of different ages, backgrounds, and ethnicities pulling together to achieve great things for the kingdom of God. I dream of collaborative churches. I see churches of different sizes, languages, denominations working together with a kingdom mindset that means one church is not just a catchphrase or a hashtag. I'm often asked, how many churches are there in Hong Kong, pastor? I say, one. And possibly the boldest part of my dream is for collaborative countries. We're in such a divided world. I don't know how you feel when you read the newspaper headlines in the morning. It's depressing. But I see barriers between nations and people groups coming down, particularly as collaborative Christians and collaborative churches respond to the outworking of the Great Commission. But where does it start? It starts with you, and you, and you, and you, and me. I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to invite you to step out of your comfort zone for a minute. What I'm going to invite you to do is actually in this time go and find somebody in the church who is not your husband, wife, your son, your daughter, your friend. Go and find someone you don't know. And just go and see him. Now, you, you might be an arm bump person. You might be a huggy like me. I mean, it's COVID, right? So we're, we're respecting the rules, right? So do what you think is good. You might want to just introduce yourself. You might want to say who you are. You, you might want to exchange WhatsApps. This is not a dating time, by the way. I'm just, I'm just telling you, you know, this is not John's dating, you know. Um, not a bad idea, but it's not, it's not, not as what it's designed for. Um, and you might even want to pray for each other. This is, this is symbolic. It's symbolic of what God is calling us to do, but actually it's more than that. It's real. You know, sometimes you come to church and you don't know anyone other than the people who are sitting either side of you. Maybe you don't even know the person next to you. So I want you to spend that time just getting to know someone and I'll, I'll leave it to you. You might just want to talk um, or pray to God. And then what we're going to do at the end, we're going to come back together. And together, we're going to pray for our city. I'd love to do that. So could you do that? Is that okay? Not too much to ask. Good. Excellent. So please do.